0: Well, it, it, it's good to be with you. Um, we've had the chance to go through what I thought was just going to be the entire book of Acts in two weeks turned into, like, here we are 10 weeks later. So we are, uh, we are into Acts chapter 10. So if you want to open up your own copy of the Holy Scriptures, I encourage you to do so. We will be in Acts chapter 10 today. Uh, but you know, if I were to ever have a chance to, to preach through the entire book of Acts, it would be really all about this restored community, that God was doing something new, that he was building something different, that there was something new that was happening, that there was a major change, a major shift, and all of a sudden, you know, Jesus ascends into heaven and says, hey, you know, you wait in Jerusalem, the Holy Spirit is going to come, and then this launching of this revolution, this launching of this kingdom, this, this launching of the early church, that we then get to follow along through the book of Acts. And here we are, 2,000 some years later, still in this space of the advancement of the kingdom of God. And right here, Cedar Home in Stanwood, Washington is on like the precipice of what God is doing to advance the kingdom of God. Like you are here because of what God is doing and what he started to do 2,000 years ago, as we're reading through this launch of the kingdom of God, like we are seeing that advancement coming and coming each and every day. And sometimes you might get discouraged and like, Lord, would you please come? And then then other days you're like, wow, the kingdom is active and moving and alive, and it is exciting to be a part of this community. And I can even feel like you have a senior pastor here, and like there's this like sense of like, okay, God, you're going to do something and whether there's a senior pastor here or not, you know what? The Holy Spirit is here and moving, and you are all out in the community and living amongst your neighbors and working amongst your uh, coworkers and hanging out, learning amongst your co-students or whatever that's called. You are, you are like learning with them. You're working with them. You're living next to them. You are in the midst of the community and you have the Holy Spirit in you. And then the kingdom is like, it's coming, right? On earth as it is in heaven. And it's inevitable. It's going to happen. And we have the opportunity to be a part of how God is using, using, um, using us in the kingdom right here in Stanwood, Washington. I mean, we hail all the way from Monroe, and we like to join in with what's happening in Stanwood. So, so thanks for putting up with us, Morovians. Um I always try to say there's not a lot of good that comes out of Monroe, except for, you know, except for we've got the prison. I mean, that's about it. Like all the dairy, dairy farms are all dried up, uh, and now they're Pumpkin patches, but um, you know, but we at least we have the prison. So we hail from Monroe. It is it is nice to be with you guys, and uh, I met some new people this morning, and it's cool that uh, God is bringing new people um, to Cedar Home, and and that I'm just excited to see where this is going to go. I'm excited for you guys. So Acts chapter 10 is where we're at. But let me ask you this question: In your life, when have you had those like watershed moments? Those like moments of like, ex- like, like uh, somebody shout out this moment of their life that just changed everything, changed the trajectory of their life, that just, just dramatically changed uh, so much of what was happening in their world. Like, can, you, can somebody tell me something? Okay. Salvation. That's always a big one. That's a good church answer for sure. Yes. Yes. When I was saved, my life forever was changed, which is, that's, it's beautiful. Absolutely. Uh, for me, that was when, uh, August 3rd, 1995 in the parking lot of Olive Garden. After all you can eat soup salad and breadsticks, like nine things of salad, way too much soup, lots and lots of roughage. Um, but in that moment, in that moment, God met me there in that parking lot. And yes, my life was forever a different trajectory because of that. That was beautiful. That was when I was 18. How about, uh, some of else? Sitting next to this person in the intro to interpret Bible college. Okay, yeah, so you, you, you just happen to sit down to the next to the right person, intro to Bible college, and like forever your life has changed. Things got expensive, and uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was hard to make budget then. Yeah, I get it. Yeah, absolutely, right? We meet somebody, and then next thing you know, our life is forever different because we have met the person that we're going to do the next 50, 60, 70 years with. And it's, and it's a beautiful thing. And our life is forever changed. Awesome. Yes. Yes. When we get married, right? 1999 for us, um, that, that, was a, that was a moment where when I was 21, my life changed completely. Yes. Things, things got expensive. What else? Children. Yes. Yes. Yeah. When I was 26, we got kids and then we just kept having kids. So um, my life kept changing seven more times, you know, like, or six more times, just seven, I think. All right. Yeah, so just, just seven. So, so, yeah, yeah, when we have children, I mean, all of a sudden, like, you know, life doesn't revolve around us anymore. And, you know, there's, there's these needy things around that have to be fed and watered and stuff. So, um, yes, and educated, and we love them dearly, and then they, they bring so much light and blessing into our life, and it's amazing, and it's just incredible, and the chance to, to disciple them and to see how God is going to use them in the kingdom, it's a, it is a treat, yes. But as soon as, like, that moment... You know, that moment when, uh, when, I, when Riley was born like 20, almost 21 years ago, and we're sitting there in the hospital, and all of a sudden all these nurses rush in, and there's like lights flashing, and things are happening, and babies getting taken out and rushed upstairs to the NICU, and all of a sudden it's like, I'm in this place, I've seen this little baby that's in, in this little uh, box, what do you call it? Incubator, with like wires coming out of it, and I'm thinking, wow, I am at your mercy, Lord, because I want to do whatever I can for this little baby, and I can't. There's nothing I can do, and yet that feeling inside of you as a dad, a brand new dad, or mom that cares deeply for something other than yourself. For the first time, there's that understanding of the father's heart for his children, Um, and then just like trusting and just relying upon, okay, God, you have this, and that was a change. That was a major watershed moment in, in our life. What else? Having cancer, yes, like, you know, getting some sort of health diagnosis. I mean, there are things like a job change, uh, medical thing that we have to deal with, a major loss in our life, uh, somebody passing that is loved. Um, you know, there are so many things that are those watershed moments where something, the trajectory of your life changes forever, from here to there. And in, in what we're going to look at this morning is we're going to look at one of those watershed moments in the church. And so, uh, yeah, so follow along with me to Acts chapter 10. Uh, just a little recap on the book of Acts. Um, the central theme of the book of Acts can be found in chapter 1, verse 8, and it says, "...but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth." And so, you know, Jesus is saying very clearly, yes, I am ascending into heaven, and yet the Holy Spirit is going to come upon you as Christians, and, and you are going to have the power then to be witnesses to all that Jesus has done, all that I have done in this world, and then some. And so then these apostles that get the Holy Spirit filled with them, and then all sorts of cool stuff happens, special effects galore, way better than ever, like Marvel could ever come up with, right? Like the Holy Spirit shows up in this powerful way, and and, uh, these apostles, all of a sudden, they are then released, and the followers of Christ are released to go and be witnesses. And they are witnesses to everything that God has done. And then we have the same calling, amen, right? That we are witnesses to what Jesus has done in our life. And we are witnesses to the power and the resurrection, the death, the burial, the resurrection, and the ascension and the Holy Spirit. We are witnesses to all of that. Not firsthand with eyewitnesses, but we are witnesses firsthand, eyewitness to what God has done in our life. And we can, and and what we have in scripture. And then we bring that to the community around us. And we are called through the power of the Holy Spirit, to be witnesses, all right? And so this is, our, this is our calling, right? To be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. And so here we are, like 2,000 years later, probably 10,000 miles from Jerusalem, Stanwood, Washington. I, I did look it up last night. I googled it. It's 10,800 and something as the crow flies. So we are, like, far, far away, away from Jerusalem, and yet... And yet, we, you know, we, we can, I guess we would probably consider Stanwood the utter end of the earth. So here, congratulations, you are, you are the ends of the earth. But here we are, um, 2,000 years and 10,000 miles later, the gospel has reached Cedar Home Church, Stanwood community, and now it's your job then to continue to be witnesses as the kingdom continues to advance. And so we're, we, we find ourselves following the launch of the early church. We, we met Saul a couple weeks ago. We met Saul who had, who had been causing havoc in the church and, and, and like getting people in chains and t- taking them back to Jerusalem and keeping the gospel from being like trying his best to put a, a blanket on the gospel. But it, it can't be stopped. God will not be stopped. The gospel continues to be proclaimed. In fact, Paul on his way to Damascus to go do more havoc, he gets a little sidelined by the Lord, and he meets Jesus, and he realizes for the first time that Jesus was indeed Messiah. That Jesus is the Lord, that he is the King of Kings, and he has this amazing conversion, and that's what we looked. to looked at in, in chapter 9, and so we're going to get back into Saul later, who's now Paul, but right now we're going to take a pause on Paul, and we're going to jump into the life of Peter, uh, one of the apostles who had been also preaching and proclaiming God's word. So uh, let's, let's uh, kind of find out what Peter is up to, but first we're going to meet this gentleman named Cornelius. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian Cohort He is lodging with one Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. And when the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among those who attended him. And having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. Let me pause and pray. Lord, this is your word, and so we recognize that this is, this, this is the Holy Scriptures. This is your word to us this morning. Open our eyes to see, open our ears to hear. Lord, we want to be changed because of the word And so we recognize and believe um, that this is your truth. And so we submit to it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So, you know, anytime, it seems like whenever an angel shows up, like what is the the emotion? Fear. Like there's like terror that comes. And you can imagine, there you are, you're you're praying. And uh, next thing you know, an angel shows up. And, uh, you know, and and again, probably a watershed moment for Cornelius. And as it turns out, it is a major transition in his life. And so here we have Cornelius. Who is Cornelius? So he's a Roman. Uh, He's a centurion. So he is a, a Roman soldier who oversees 100 people. All right, so he's got this cohort this Italian cohort, I've seen it in some other translations as an Italian band, uh, but they didn't have instruments. They had, you know, weapons of, of you, know, uh, you know, swords and shields and things of this nature. And so this was, this is who he was. He was a, a Roman, a centurion, he, but he was God-fearing. Like, he recognized that the God of the Bible, the God of the Old Testament, the God of Judea, like the God of the Jewish people, like Peter, like, like he recognized that that was the right God, and there was like a devoutness to him. Um, he did not, he was not saved. Uh, he did not know that Jesus was Messiah, but he believed in this God and he prayed to God and he gave, he was generous with his, with his uh, resources. And so he was religious. He was a Gentile. All of this is very important as the story goes forward. Um, Caesarea was, was prominently a Roman city, uh, did you guys notice the name of the town uh, that, uh, that he had to send people to is Joppa? Can you think of another time that we hear about Joppa in the, in the scriptures? Jonah, did I hear Jonah? Thought I thought somebody said Jonah. Yeah, so, so Jonah, when Jonah was supposed to go and preach, when, when, the, when God told Jonah to go and preach to Nineveh, where did he go? He ran, he ran to Joppa. And so it's, it's interesting that, you know, here we have another example of, of some like Joppa coming up when we have the opportunity to bring the gospel to um, somebody outside of the Jewish uh, nation. And so this is interesting, right? So, so Joppa was the very place where Jonah ran away from his mission to Nineveh. Um, the other thing that I was really struck by as I was reading through this is that God knew Cornelius' name. And I, I just, I just kind of stood there for a bit and sort of soaked that in. Like, there's a recognition, you know, so here's this devout man, Cornelius. He's a Roman. He's got these soldiers. This is what his job is. He's living in Caesarea. And in the midst of all of this, like in the midst of all of the, you know, millions of millions of people in the world, God knew Cornelius' name. And he reaches into Cornelius' life through this angel, and he calls to him directly. He calls him in, to him intimately. Like, when we know someone's name, it just makes a big difference, right? There's an, there's an automatic barrier to a relationship if you don't even know the person's name. And yet God knows Cornelius' name, and the response is beautiful. What is it, Lord? And you know, what a beautiful way to respond. Um, and so here we see that God is moving strategically through the world, And we see at the same time that God is moving in Cornelius's life. God is also moving in Peter's life. And so let's continue with like uh, what we could call scene number two. All right. So the next day, uh, yes. So the next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter uh, went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray, and he became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing, He fell into a trance and saw the heavens opened and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, by no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him again a second time, what God has made clean, do not call common. And this happened three times And the thing was taken up once to heaven. All right. And so here we have, uh, so, you know, first we had Cornelius's vision and now we have Peter's vision. And so at at the same time, God is working and he's orchestrating something that's happening probably about 30 miles between uh, these two gentlemen, right? Where Cornelius is in Caesarea. And then here we have Peter. It's about 30 miles in between. And so yet God is working kind of, together at the same time Um, these two would probably never meet if it weren't for what God was doing and so we have this idea so this vision so we have this sheet coming down and these animals all kinds of animals on it and reptiles and birds of the air and you know things that uh, Peter and his uh, culture would say that these are unclean and not to be eaten and and so you know we have, he's having this, like, cultural struggle. Like, he's seeing these things happen, and so, and yet it, it, like, so the vision happens, and the vision happens again, and then the vision happens again. He sees it three times, and so we know that this is important. Um, Peter is, is uh, he's, he's really down with the whole idea of three things happening in his life, right? Right? He denied Christ three times, and then he was reinstated and affirmed by Jesus three times. Um, and then here we are again, three times Peter gets this vision from the Lord. Um, so the Lord knows that a takes a set of three in order for Peter to get it, right? Um, And you know, so I think we can relate to Peter. Like I need to hear things more than once. Um, Don't ask my wife how many times I say, what what am I supposed to get from Costco? Um, So three texts is helpful for me. Uh, But so here, you know, so here we have like in in Old Testament thinking, um, there was the holy and the common, all right? The holy was made common when it came into contact with something common, and could only be made holy again through a ritual cleansing. When something was made holy, it was called consecration. And when it was made common, it was called desecration. And so we have kind of these ideas that we could go back to Leviticus chapter 11 and look at a list and a clarification about what makes an animal clean and what makes an animal unclean. But the bottom line is that there was rules set up for the people of Israel to separate themselves from the world so that they could be holy for God. And, they, and this was a system that was set up, and so it made them different. It made them set aside. They made, it made them separate from. And it, was, it involved what they ate and, and, and some of the other things. And, and if they became unclean, then they needed to go you know, to the temple and, and with the, the helps of the priests and all the different sacrifices they would be able to do with a grain offering or whatever the offering that they needed to in order to become holy again. And so it was this kind of ongoing process. And one of the things that was changing with Jesus is that that process didn't need to be in place anymore, and we're going to see the impact of that in today's passage. Um, We don't have time today to go through Leviticus 11 and think about all of that, but you can feel free to go back there on your own study. But a lot of what Jesus was doing with this launching of this new church and the coming of the kingdom was a lot of those rules were being set aside, saying, "No, no, there is no unclean and clean, right? And so this type of thinking was appropriate at the time, But God is doing something new with Jesus, having paved the way for all sinners to be saved. Um, The door basically has been kicked open for all people to enter through the the way of Jesus. And right now, we see God is laying the foundation to kind of shake up Peter's idea about the family of God, of how, how salvation and the Holy Spirit is not just for the Israelites, um, and so that's, that's kind of what, what is happening. And so Peter gets this vision, and you kind of get the impression that he doesn't kind of get it just quite yet, that it's just sort of settling in his mind. Uh, but let's go to chapter 11, verse 17. Sorry, chapter 10, verse 17. He says, now while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision that he had seen might mean, behold... And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man who was well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and to hear what you have to say. And so he invited them in to be his guests. So in the midst of Peter trying to figure out what does this vision mean, this triple vision, this repeat vision of, of the sheep coming down with these unclean animals, um, some guys call out for him at the gate and then immediately the Holy Spirit instructs Peter to go with them without hesitation, and so Peter invites them in as an act of hospitality for the evening. I don't know how uh, I don't know how pertinent it is to the story, um, as I was reading through different commentaries. Uh, commentaries, uh, you know, some would mention this and some wouldn't, uh, but I think it's really beautiful that Peter just has this moment of uh, hospitality. You know, like, um, so these three guys that he doesn't know, sent by the Holy Spirit, show up at his door, and his first response is, "Come in. Lodge with me for the evening." And I, I just think that you know hospitality is something that, um, is, is something that is beautiful and it's at the heart of God. It, it shows like a loving-kindness for other people and just a, a sense of, of family that comes with with being someone who loves God and loves other people well. Like there is a generosity and a giving and a serving kind of nature and a feel to that, that I think was culturally acceptable then, and I think it's a little bit harder to come by today. And I think hospitality is one of those things that was really a beautiful thing in the Jewish culture, uh, and it is something that we can maybe bring back more. And some of you are amazing at hospitality, and you have people in your home all the time, and and you, you probably should start charging for like a B and B or something. But, um, but it's 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 uh, you know for some of us like you know the idea of coming you know having somebody over to the house is is a little stressful. But I just think it's really beautiful that when we see, you know, Peter's response is not like, oh, who are these guys? And are they trustworthy?" You know, but it's like, hey, welcome, come on in. I don't even think it's Peter's house because he's staying with like, you know, Simon the Tanner. So like he's, he's being generous with someone else's house, right? Which is really super fun. But hey, you know, that's Peter's response. It's like, I'm going to put you up for the night. Like you're going to come in, like hang out. Like, you know, they're going to dine together. They're going to they're gonna put them up for the night. So then it's not till the next day that they the go, right? So they stay the night. I just think it's beautiful, right? I mean, it, it, you know, this is something that we see throughout scripture, Right. Abraham, right back in Genesis, welcomed three strangers who, who came to tell Abraham and Sarah that they were going to have a baby. And he just welcomed them in. Uh, do you remember Rebecca, right? Um, when, when Abraham had sent a servant to go find a wife for Isaac, Rebecca immediately watered the horses of this person that she didn't, uh, didn't, know, didn't you know, hadn't met yet. There's something beautiful about just being generous and being hospitable, taking care of those people that are around you. Right? It's just one way that we can love God and love other people. And it's, it's, uh, it's something that's really beautiful. Um, at the beginning of a traditional Passover Seder, uh, modern day Jews w- will still recite a formulaic declaration of an open house type of policy of hospitality. Uh, this is what they will read around the table. They, they will say, let all who are hard pressed come and eat. Let all who are in need come and share the Passover sacrifice. And I just think it's beautiful. It's, 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 a, it's, a heart, it's like the heart of God, right? That anyone has a need. It kind of reminds you of Acts chapter two. If there's a need, meet the need. That we as a community of believers, the community these kingdom followers that have created a community right here, there shouldn't be needs amongst us, right? If there's a need, it will be met, right? If, if someone needs a place to stay, they can have a place to stay. It's just a beautiful display of loving kindness, and, and usually that's just associated with providing a meal or even lodging for a guest. Um, obviously, the recipient feels the kind gesture deeply, but there's a relational depth that can't be re- like reached without experiencing that. When you bring someone into your home, they are a part of your family. They just get a little snapshot of what life is like. Like if they come in, like if you come into my home, you're probably going to see some dirty dishes in the sink, you know, because that's just a, that's a snapshot of our life. We have lots of kids that eat dishes off dishes. They don't eat dishes, right? And then you know, there there might even be you know there might be a need to to uh, you know to vacuum or something. You know, there's there's gonna you're going you might even step on a Lego, right? Like these things are just going to happen because this is a natural thing that's happening in our home, and you're going to see a snapshot of that. You're gonna, you're gonna see some stains on the carpet and you're gonna think, what did that come from? And, and we'll tell you, it actually, it came from a baby deer that we raised in our house for a little bit. And you're like, oh, that's interesting, right? So, you know, like, you know, when we, you know, if we met at McDonald's and had a meal together, like we could share bread together, but you would miss out on some of that relational warmth that comes with when you're in someone's home. And so I just would just like, that's just a freebie today. Invite somebody over for lunch today. Get them into your home, regardless of what's happening at the house, it's Okay. Bring him over, all right? Acts chapter 10, verse 24. So the next day he rose and went away with them, and some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied them. And on the following day they entered Caesarea, and Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. And when Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshiped him. But Peter lifted him up saying, stand up, I too am a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many persons gathered. And he said to them, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. And I asked then why you sent for me. I love this about Cornelius. He's such a cool guy. Like, here he is. He's like devout and he like, he wants to know. And then like this angel shows up and like, there's some, there's like something more for you. And he's like happy to say, okay, great. And he sends his servants, go track down Peter. And Peter shows up and he comes and then they have this moment. And and, and it's not just like Cornelius was like, I want to hear this information for myself. But he gathers all of his friends and all of his family and they're all like in Cornelius' room, his house, and they're all ready to hear. Like he's not going to keep it to himself. He clearly recognizes that this is a moment that more than just me needs to be a part of. Like, I need to invite others to see and to hear what Peter, this man, is going to bring. They all need to hear about it. Like, you know, I don't know if if this is Cornelius and just all of his household, and, and, and they're there because, hey, if Cornelius says jump, I jump. But I don't know. But he invites all of his friends and family, and they're there, all ready to hear what Peter has to bring. It's awesome. It's awesome that Cornelius understood that there was something more than just for him. And so Peter gets this vision that God gave him, and he realizes, so somewhere along the lines, like, like, the, like the little, like, the ideas of, of this vision, all of a sudden it starts to make sense to Peter. Like, it's not about food. that It really is about people, that, that they're, like, they, they just this idea, this cultural idea of this they're being common and uncommon, like, it is going to be a thing of the past, like, Jesus is doing something new and something different, and we are going to open up the gospel to the Gentile uh, world today. And, and, and God is doing, like, he's on the march doing something new and different, and this is remarkable, and Peter is getting it. All of a sudden, he's realizing this is not about food, but this is about, like, bringing the gospel to everyone, and we are beginning to see the power of the gospel, the way of the king, the kingdom of life, which welcomes any and all, regardless of economics, race, ethnicity, color, lifestyle, sin issue, whatever it is, the gospel is ready for everyone. And this is different. This is new. There is a place for you. Jesus, the Messiah, is the king and he died for you. There is a way of salvation for you regardless of your background, regardless of your socioeconomic status, regardless of, of whatever that you choose to define yourself as. Regardless of that, the gospel is for you and it's ready for you. And, no, and, and Peter is grasping it, and this, this watershed moment for the kingdom of God as it's marching through, like this is a life-altering transition moment for, for the church. It's huge. It's really awesome. So let's continue the story. Verse 34, all right? So we're like at scene five now. So Peter opens his mouth, And it's, so all of these people are gathered around to see like, okay, Cornelius is like, this is, this guy is going to come and he's going to talk. And this is what Peter says. So Peter opens his mouth and he says, truly, I understand that God shows no partiality. But in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be the judge of the living and the dead. To him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sin through his name. Hear that again, church. To him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Truly, I understand that God shows no partiality. Peter lays out the gospel, right? He says that Jesus was baptized and anointed with the Holy Spirit and power, that he went about healing and delivering all those who were oppressed with the power of God. There were witnesses to all of this, that Jesus was crucified, that he was raised from the dead, that he was resurrected, and that he was witnessed by all of these people, that Jesus had commanded his followers to preach and to testify as to who he was, and that Jesus will be the judge of the living and the dead, and that he is the one that was foretold by the prophets as Messiah. And so he lays out the gospel and he includes all of this. Uh, But he, like Peter is like grasping the fact that this is, there's something different here. He's understanding that God shows no partiality. That there is, that, that the gospel is for everyone who believes in him and receives forgiveness of sins through his name. And the Holy Spirit does not wait for Peter to, like, have an altar call, right? There's, there's no organized, like, okay, you need to come forward, and you need to raise your hand, or pray the prayer. But while Peter, verse 44, while Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles, for they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. And then Peter declared, can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And then they asked him to remain for some days. And this is awesome. Right? So Peter is preaching and like like he's I don't know how Peter likes to do it, but maybe he has eyes bowed. Let me see your hands raised if you if you want to accept Jesus. I'm not sure what his like technique was. You know, you gotta go to preacher school for this, and he didn't, you know, so he was just led by the Holy Spirit. And and you know, so like whatever he was about to do, like he didn't get his moment. The Holy Spirit just shows up, and all of a sudden people are like putting their trust and belief that Jesus was indeed Messiah, and they are like. Their lives are changed, and the Holy Spirit shows up, and next thing you know, it's like Pentecost all over again, but it's for Gentiles. Uh, You know, like Peter's, like they're they're like watching, like this this is kind of it shouldn't be, but it's a big deal. Like, why didn't they get it? Jesus was walking with them, you know, in John three sixteen. That was like before the Ascension, before the Book of Acts. Here, John three sixteen, you know, for all. Right? So Jesus loves all of the world, right? Forever, Jesus has been talking about things differently than how the Jewish people would see them. He would talk with the woman at the well. Like, he elevated women to the status of of just co-equals, right? You are a creation of God. He, it was so important for Jesus to make sure that he was like, like, he revealed himself first to women. Right? There is something significant. Jesus was doing something different. He was elevating anybody and everyone to the full status. Uh, they are all created in, in God's image, equal, regardless of where they came from, regardless of what gender they are, regardless of, of their past, whether or not they had a, a sexual past as a woman caught in adultery, or, what, or whatever. Like, Jesus had mercy and compassion equally across the board. And so he'd been doing it this whole time on earth in his ministry. And so why would it be a surprise to these, these Jewish people like Peter? Like why it's, It shouldn't be a surprise. And yet here we have this moment, this watershed moment, where the gospel is being opened up to the Gentile world. And uh, it's exciting. And so the Holy Spirit comes... It's just like Pentecost. Tongues are being heard. This is an amazing thing. Salvation comes up upon the crowd because they put their trust in Jesus. And for the first time, Cornelius, this religious man who has been devout, who's been giving alms to the poor, he has been praying probably three times a day like, a, like, he's, like he feels like he's supposed to, because that's what he's been taught. For the first time, he recognizes that Jesus is Messiah and that his salvation is in no other name other than Jesus. And he puts his faith and trust there and immediately the Holy Spirit shows up. And there's not, a, there's not an altar call and there's not a, pray to, a prayer to pray and there is not a hand raised and there's not a, you know, something that would be like an outward symbol of that. There's nothing wrong with any of that. All of those are great ways to, to ask the question, are you ready to put your faith and trust in Jesus? But there's no, there's no magic to it. There's no, there's no right thing to do raise your hand or or put your hand over heart or or like you know there's there's no thing The, the thing is putting your faith and trust in Jesus as your Lord and Savior believing that Jesus is indeed Messiah believing that he did die for your sins believing that you first have a sin problem and that you need to be saved and that Jesus is the only way for you to be saved that through his death and burial and resurrection and life we we have life in Christ when we put our faith and trust in him and you can do that at home you can do that at a church you can do it with a friend you can do it with a deacon you can, you can do it by yourself you can do it with a group of people where Peter's preaching and the Holy Spirit just shows up like it can happen however but the question I want to ask you this morning is have you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior like do you recognize that he is Messiah I'm not going to ask for a raise of hands I'm not going to ask for but I am hoping that Holy Spirit shows up and something exciting happens I would be, I would be open to that If you have, your next step is baptism, right? I mean, as soon as people come to faith in the book of Acts, boom, where's the water? Let's go, where's, where's the water? You, you have put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, awesome. Now go and be baptized and let's like then be witnesses to Judea, Samaria, and all the utter ends of the earth like in Stanwood, right? So a few, a few observations about the passage, right? Cornelius was diligent in his religion, but that just wasn't enough. He was searching for purpose and peace, and he wasn't finding it in religion. He knew that there was something more, and there are many functional saviors out there. There are many people trying to find peace through many different means, and religion can be one of those functional saviors, but there is only salvation through Jesus Christ. There's only salvation through Jesus. Even religion without Jesus will not satisfy Another observation I think is important to make is that just we find that as we are reading through the book of Acts and specifically Acts 10, obedience to God is important. Like, like it's really important. You know, John 14 says, if you love me, you'll obey my commands. Um, Cornelius obeyed. Peter obeyed. And as a result of these two men obeying what God was doing and asking them to do, the kingdom was advanced in significant ways. That will forever change the trajectory of the church. A third observation: There is the there is like there's a, like this beautiful kind of interrelated juxtaposed uh, juxtapos idea of of the nearness of God and the bigness of God. And there's like this beautiful kind of unique knowing God knowing Cornelius's voice, and then him like him knowing our name in the midst of it there is this overall like largeness of the overall strategy of the advancement of the kingdom of God. And they are intertwined. They are together, right? There is this beautiful picture of like Cornelius, just a guy who God knows intimately. And he knows God intimately. And God is orchestrating what's going on with him. And then there's this guy, Peter, and God is orchestrating and knows him intimately. And there's an intimate relationship between Peter and Jesus, right? And so, both of those things are happening at the same time. That there's this like overall advancement of the kingdom of God, and like it's it's the nearness of God, and then just the greatness and the bigness of what He's doing across the globe. Um, and, and it's it's fun that we get to be a part of it. That we have this nearness relationship with God, and yet in the midst of it, we're a part of something greater than ourselves. And so it, it is really beautiful to know that. Like, I'm just a little piece of God's great story. Like, we are, like, like that's okay. It doesn't have to all be about us. It doesn't have to be about me. And that, in fact, that helps me, like, it, that helps to affect my prayer life. When I realize that there's a beautiful intimacy with God, and yet I am a small piece of what God is doing in the grand scheme of things, right? In my little world in Monroe... We have some dairy goats, you know, my little dairy goat world and some hay and, you know, like that is really tiny. And yet God cares about that. And there's this beautiful relationship between him caring deeply about my little family and my little land in Monroe. And yet at the same time, he is also caring about the grand scope of things from creation to recreation. Because it's so much bigger than just about me. Like we talked about the hospitality all the way back in Genesis 12 with Abraham. We also can see that one day in Revelation 5, there's going to be, you know, people from every tongue, tribe, and nation all worshiping together in our little piece of Monroe. There'll be some other Monrovians. I know it. There will be. Like, it'll be fantastic. Like, we'll find some Monroe people maybe even ones from the prison and and you know they'll be in heaven and every tongue tribe and nation and we will all be worshiping together because of this grand transcendental large like king of all all over all these things like the same God that knows me intimately is orchestrating things from creation to recreation and I love that it's a beautiful mix it's very cool Another, just, uh, another observation is that the family of God is restored, right? Salvation is for everyone. We can take Jesus at his words. For God so loved the world. And go be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. Like these are things that they should have thought about, right? Peter crosses the threshold entering into the home of Cornelius. And then the family of God is restored to its fullness of what God had intended from, re- from creation and will one day be again in recreation. And he steps into a home right past all of the years of cultural differences, past all of the approval of men, and he steps into that home to receive the approval of God. Um, and then lastly, the Holy Spirit is the engine for all missions. The Holy Spirit is the engine for all missions. A budget is nice. A strategy as a church is helpful. Maybe even a target is recommended. But at the end of the day, the Holy Spirit decides what's going to happen and when it's going to happen be ready for the unexpected. God is at work all around us, even when we don't see it, right? Peter had no idea he was, that God was talking to Cornelius. Cornelius had no idea that God was talking to Peter. And so we just obey the Holy Spirit. We go and we do things. The next thing you know, lives are changed and transformed and ministry happens and missions happen because the Holy Spirit is the engine driving it all. Peter was being prepared to preach on something for someone that he was not even aware of. And people were in Cornelius' house ready to hear a message that they didn't even know what was coming, right? And then those worlds collide and God moves and it's beautiful. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, would you be the engine here at Cedar Home? Would you be driving the missions moment? And Lord, I, I, I do pray that we as a church, we would just reflect your heart for all people across all barriers. We love you. Lord, help us to love others as you do. May our hearts align with yours as we see your creation. Thank you so much for this church, and I pray your blessing in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you guys stand to receive the benediction this morning? So this is out of Romans chapter 8, 38. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen? Amen? Have a great week.